So this morning, we're going to come now to the Word of God and, and look and see what uh, God has for us here in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Uh, in fact, why don't we we'll read this together. We're going to begin in verse 43 and then read through to the end of the chapter. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. But Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the signs that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And he himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We thank you for this wonderful event we are brought into. Teach us. Draw us to this place where we can trust you without doubt. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Crises. We've all been in a place of a crisis. Perhaps you know this, this circumstance well. You've, you've been at the, the shops, you've done all your shopping, and you come to check out, and you're looking at the checkout line. Which one do I go in? And you pick the checkout line you think is going the fastest and you get in the checkout line and you're looking over there and you can see that one going faster. And so you begin to think, do I stay or do I go over there? Because if I stay, I have to, but if I go over there and it slows down, well, then I lose my spot. What do I do? The crisis moment. And we've all had something similar to that in our lives where we have to make a decision and we're not sure what to do or how we're going to go about it. Today, in our text here, we see a man who has a real crisis. He's not just deciding which line to go in and which one's going to be faster. He has a genuine crisis of life, which could drastically change everything in his life. His son is dying. This is the second of the seven miracles that John uses to illustrate to us who Jesus is. Remember, as we began this study, we noted that John tells us his purpose in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, that he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he's using these, uh, these miracles as illustrations to draw us to believe that, to see that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has come in the flesh 
that he gives new birth, that he is the living water. Now, as John has been drawing these things, he's, he's bringing us and he's directing us to the inevitable place that Jesus must take us as we think on these truths and the, the place that these truths point us to. If Jesus is, in fact, as we've seen in chapter 1 and 2, that he is the Son of God come down in the flesh and that he is the, the one who gives new birth, that he is the living water, we're brought to the place, and we've seen it in every instance here, where we have to think, what do I do about that? If this is who Jesus is, what do I do with it? What do I do with this information? So John takes us to the inevitable place that these truths lead us. Jesus is always bringing us to a place of crisis, a place where a decision must be made, where we can't just wait for things to happen. We either choose to stay or we choose to go, but Jesus always brings us to a crisis point, to a place where our life feels like it must decide. It's at this crisis point that change takes place. And these crises points that were brought to are always personal. It's never just theory or something outside of us. It always deeply affects us, changes who we are and what we will be and become. Belief in Jesus for salvation doesn't come from someone else. You have to see the need for yourself. So the Samaritans found out when Jesus came and the, the men and the people of the town say to the woman, now we believe because we have seen and heard ourselves, not because of what you told us. So we have to make a decision on our own. And the same belief in Jesus, when we choose to believe, must continue to grow in our life. That belief and those times of crisis don't end just when we believe Jesus for salvation. It is a constant process in our life. So after believing Jesus for salvation, you need to continue to believe Jesus. There are powerful lessons in this event for all of us. What does Jesus expect of us? What does he expect of you and me? If indeed, as we believe the Bible teaches, that the Bible says that salvation is through faith and not works, what does that look like? What does it mean to genuinely believe Jesus? So let's look at this man's interaction inter, uh, with Jesus and see if we can learn something about what it means to be at a crisis of faith, what it means to genuinely believe Jesus. And as we begin this, we are brought to see firstly a group of sign seekers, people who are looking at Jesus to see what he has done. Verse 43, now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a, uh, that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the signs that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went unto the feast. So here is uh, a bunch of people. Jesus is back in Galilee, so the northern part of Israel. He's traveled back there as he passed through Samaria. And he comes and he eventually ends up back in Cana, where he turned the water into wine and did his first miracle there. 
Jesus has been down in Jerusalem and he's been there for the Passover. And during the time of Passover, while he was in Jerusalem, he's done many miracles and many signs through the time that he has been there. As we see in verse 45, these people that Jesus is speaking to now in Galilee, they've also been down in Jerusalem. They saw the signs, they saw the miracles that Jesus did in Jerusalem. And it has, has enamored them and they are intrigued by this person, Jesus. They receive Jesus for the miracles, not for his teaching. Compare that to the Samaritans. As Jesus passed through the Samaritans, they received Jesus because they listened to him. They believed what he had to say, what he taught. What was about to happen here as we look into this passage is, is a lesson for, for all people, not just for the nobleman whose son is in danger. John uses these signs to help us believe, but notice that the sign, the miracle that Jesus does, is not the point of the passage. It's simply the illustration of the truth. So we're not to be focused on what takes place, but why it takes place. What is happening in the nobleman? What is happening in the people as Jesus performs this amazing miracle? Too many people today are looking for God to show off. Just like the people here in Galilee, we want to see the tricks. We want to see God do amazing things. And, and we're told constantly through so many parts of, of Christendom these days that if God isn't doing miracles in your life, you don't have enough faith. And so we're always looking for God to show off. And that's not why God does miracles. So they came to see the tricks. That's why they were there at Jesus, to see the tricks. And because they were there to see the tricks... They couldn't see the Christ. They didn't see the one who was actually doing the miracles. See, these were religious people. They had just been down to Passover. They'd been down there to worship and to offer their sacrifices. These are people who had spent their whole life expecting the Messiah. They'd been hearing about him and expecting him and hoping that he would come in their lifetime. It's part of everything that they had grown up to see. And when the Messiah came, all they saw were the tricks. Most missed who he really was. In fact, as we move into chapter 5 in the, in the coming weeks, we find that the whole attitude of Israel begins to shift because they see he's not there just for the tricks, but for something different. All their religion. All their teaching, everything they had learned over their years enabled them to, to, or hadn't enabled them to see Jesus for who he really was. They didn't see him. Jesus needed them to see the scriptures from their heart, not their head. So here, in the midst of this group of sign seekers, these people who are looking for God to show off, through this guy, Jesus, we come to see a man who has a sick son. He is a man who's here we see in verse 46. So Jesus came again into Galilee, Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. 
When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him, pled with him, implored him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Here, as we see in this progress, we, we see a man who has a sick son, and he is a man who is clinging to hope. Everything else has passed. There, there seems to be no other way. If Jesus does not come, this man who seems to be able to, to heal the sick and, and do these amazing things, if this guy doesn't come, he's my last hope. As any parent would understand, he will do anything to save his son. He will do whatever it takes. He's so desperate. He is so desperate that he leaves his dying son with no certainty that when he returns, his son will still be alive. He is so desperate, he will leave the side of his son to find Jesus. He lives in Capernaum. This is about 30 kilometers away from where Jesus is. So about a day's journey. So he leaves to walk that day's journey to find his last hope because his son is dying and he pleads with Jesus. It says besought here in, in, in our translation here, but it, it means to implore, to beg. So that doesn't mean that he came up to Jesus and he said to Jesus, Jesus, please come heal my son. And Jesus said, well, let, let's talk about it. it. It means he kept asking, he was begging. He was so desperate, his need caused him to persist. Jesus, you need to come to my son. Jesus, please, you have to come. If you don't come, my son will die. Jesus, please, you must come. So this is no casual conversation. This is a man whose son is dying and he is pleading with Jesus. You are my last hope. There is nothing else. So he pleads, come heal my son. His initial belief, his initial approach of Jesus wasn't for his own soul. So he didn't come to Jesus because he saw a need for his own salvation or for his own need. He comes to Jesus for his son, for someone else. Most people don't initially come to Jesus for salvation. Most people don't initially come to Jesus because they see in him what they need for their eternal soul. Most people approach Jesus and they come looking for hope. They come looking for help. They come because the results of sin in this world are causing them pain and they want relief. They need physical healing, perhaps or emotional healing, or they need relationships to be fixed and restored, or their, their life is off track and in trouble and they need some way to get their life back on track. Most people come to Jesus because they feel the effects of sin in their life and don't know what to do about it, hoping that in Jesus there will be some answer. But as this man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you need to come heal my son. 
Jesus declined to go. He wouldn't go. He tells him he's not going to go because he doesn't want to create a faith based on an experience. He doesn't want to create a faith based on a sign. You come to me because you want a sign, and you won't believe without a sign. Maybe that seems callous at first. Does Jesus not care about us? Does he not care about our pain? Why doesn't Jesus go? Because clearly he could do something about it. Everybody there knows Jesus could do something about it. They've seen him do it. Does he not care? Why does he seem so callous? But Jesus wanted to fix the problem, not the symptoms of the problem. At this moment, the symptoms of the problem are the son is dying. Now, Jesus could do that. He could heal this son. And the man would believe Jesus based on a miracle, based on a sign, and it would go away. Like the nobleman, many seek Jesus in desperation for someone else or for some circumstance. And usually, when that situation ends, so does the faith. We've heard it, we've seen it before, haven't we? Somebody's in a dire, desperate situation. God, if you will get me out of this, I will serve you forever. God, if you will get me out of this, I will go to church. I will believe you. And the situation finds its, in, its inevitable end in one way or another. And then, where are they? The need is no longer there. The pressure has gone. Jesus knows that. He knows that if he heals this man's son, if he goes and heals this man's son, in his moment of desperation, it will not be long before this man forgets what Jesus has done. He needs to do something greater. Jesus is interested in genuine faith on all parts. It's interesting that the nobleman's first request, he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, come with me. My son is there. Come with me. And this is how most people treat Jesus in our times of need or our times of distress. Jesus, join my life. Come here and go with me on this journey. But Jesus never lets anyone else set the agenda. He doesn't follow things because we've set the agenda. He sets the agenda for his grand purposes. It shows in this man two misconceptions about Jesus. The first misconception he has about Jesus is this. He believed that Jesus needed to be present to heal his son. Jesus, come. And if you're there, you can heal. That's his first misconception about Jesus, that Jesus needed to be present. His second misconception about Jesus is that he believed that Jesus could heal his son, but he did not believe that he could raise him from the dead. Hence the urgency. Jesus, you need to come and you need to come now because if he dies before we get there, all is over. So he has two very important misconceptions about Jesus which cause his urgency. He hadn't yet, as so many, grasped who Jesus was. 
Many of us as believers in Jesus Christ still have some of the same limiting beliefs. My relationship is too broken. My pain is too deep. My sinful pattern is too ingrained. There's no hope for that now. Jesus' goal here was eternal life, not just physical life. And amazingly to us, Jesus accomplishes both, spiritual life and physical life. He is moving the nobleman to a place of faith, to a place of faith in Jesus. Jesus is not being callous here by saying, no, I won't go. He's being purposeful. He knows exactly why he needs to do this. So this man with a sick son finds himself in a place for a saving act. See, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is cultivating faith. The man's faith, this nobleman's faith, needed to be elevated from experiment to true belief. That this was not just some guy who could do tricks and maybe it will work, but he's my last hope, but raised to a place where he believed that Jesus could actually wholly do this. It's not just an empty hope. It's interesting here, as we continue, the man pleads again in verse 49 and in verse 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. There is no sign given here. Nothing. Only a promise. Jesus says to the nobleman, go home, your son is healed. There's no fancy trick, there's no feeling, there's no hand gestures, there's no calling down from heaven. All the nobleman is given is a promise. Go home, your son lives. This is where Jesus has been leading this man. To the point where he would be prepared to believe without a sign. This is what brings God glory. He brings us to a place where we must believe God's word. This is the key to a life of faith from beginning to end. To believe God's word. To believe what he says. Like he did with Nicodemus. And like he did with the Samaritan woman, Jesus brings this man to a place of decision. He must decide, does he believe what Jesus said or not? This is the crisis point. This is the place where everything will change. Nothing can stay the same at this moment. Everything will change. 
Clearly, Jesus sees something in this man that he doesn't see in the Galileans. Those who were gathered around him just for the signs. Jesus doesn't interact with him, hoping the man would choose him. He knew what was in the heart of this man. So here he is, this nobleman is in a crisis of life. So think about it. He's pleading. His son is going to to die. And Jesus says to him, go home. Your son lives. What does he do? What does he do? What would you do? If he leaves, it's a day's journey back home. If he leaves, there's no going back. There's no more time. If he leaves and Jesus did not do what he said, his son dies. And if he stays, pleading and pleading, his son dies. What does he do? Crisis point. And this is where Jesus takes every single one of us. We must decide. He brings us all, multiple times in our life, beginning at the moment to choose Jesus as salvation, to a place where nothing will stay the same. You can't say, I'll just wait it out. The waiting is your decision. And everything will change. Imagine what is going through this man's mind as he makes that 30-kilometre journey home. Imagine how long that day's journey feels for him. I hope he's right. I hope he's right. Because if he's not, I've lost everything. See, when that man made the decision to turn away and to walk home, he made a decision which did not just affect himself. He made a decision which affected his son. And he made a decision which affected his wife and his family. His whole life spins on this moment. And I'm not not over-exaggerating this. His son dies. And life changes. Jesus asks him, Jesus asks all of us for complete commitment. Complete commitment. So in this moment, when that nobleman makes the the choice to leave Jesus and to go home, this is where we find the satisfying end. Verse 53 Having been told about his son, he says, So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Here we see on his way home some confirming evidence. See, God always accepts such faith. Faith that believes Jesus for what he says. Faith that believes God for his word. God always accepts such faith. This man must believe that Jesus did the work. He must believe that. Note that the son 
wasn't healed because the nobleman left. Right? So Jesus didn't say, when you leave, I will heal your son. He said to the nobleman, your son is healed. Go home. So the miracle was not conditioned on the fact that the man would leave. On his expression of faith. The miracle happened because Jesus determined it would happen. The man had to believe it. And follow it. The son was healed before he left. None of the work that happens here rests on the nobleman, but on Jesus. The nobleman needs to respond to the work of Jesus. See, God doesn't ask us to believe him in salvation or in our life of faith, drive us to these places of crisis, these crisis moments in our life, and then leave us hanging there. This happened exactly as Jesus said it would happen. The miracle happened immediately. And in this moment, as it happens exactly as, it, as he said, we see Christ is glorified. Jesus knew how this was supposed to end. He knew it. He doesn't ever place us into a place we can't handle because he knows where he is leading us. He doesn't lead us to a place where he is not ready to minister to us in our deepest troubles, where we are completely overwhelmed. He is there already. So this ended exactly how it was supposed to. The son was healed physically. And when the son was healed physically, the family was healed spiritually. And that's why Jesus didn't go. So this family would find faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation was a result of this faith, just as it is today. Jesus says that if we believe in him, we'll be saved from sin. No tricks, no gimmicks, just a promise. Believe that he died for your sins and rose again for your life, and you will be saved. No word from heaven, no angels coming down and, and sending sparks into your life. Just a promise. Believe what I did. Believe what I say. We get to understand we need to believe Jesus, not just to get what we want from him. But faith unwraps a whole new world of miracles, a new life, to something bigger, to something more magnificent, to, to something more, more grand than just physical healing. Through this moment, through this experience, the people saw the power of Jesus' word. That all he had to do was speak. And someone 30 kilometers away could be healed. And that Jesus' word could be believed. And that his word accomplishes its purpose. Jesus is the giver of life. So here we are, at a crisis point, 
We have God's word. We have his promises. And what will we do? What will we do with it? There's an old saying. It says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe there's some circumstances where that's good advice. This is not one of those circumstances. Jesus calls us, demands from us, put all your eggs in his basket. Nowhere else. That's why, but perhaps you've heard it said before and, and trying to explain why believing in Jesus is worth it. And we say, well, believe, believe Jesus. And, and if I'm wrong, you haven't lost anything. That's bad advice. That's not good witnessing. Because salvation comes from putting all your eggs in Jesus' basket. If I say to someone, believe Jesus, and if I'm wrong, you haven't lost anything, I'm saying, look, believe Jesus, but you can have your irons in other fires and you can, you can keep things in other places, but at least you know you've got this safe spot. That's not what Jesus is asking for. Jesus says, believe me and believe me only. There is no other option. I'm not calling you, he says, to, to add me to your life as a safety net. He says, I'm calling you to add me to your life as your everything. And he will not disappoint, ever. He will save you, and he will sustain you, and he will keep you to the very end. You're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your savior. You have never believed his word that, that he promised that he would save you from sin if you believe that he died on the cross for sin, for your sin, and rose again three days later so that you could have life. Listen, Jesus is what you need. He is all you need. He is not indifferent to your struggles your pain or your confusion. He wants to help you with all of that. But he doesn't want to just mask the symptoms. He wants to take care of the problem that causes them. The pain that lives deep within us because of sin. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. The very thing that causes all of your woes. And he rose again, defeating it, all of it. You can be set free if you will believe Jesus said so. He did the work. You just have to believe it. Believer, your belief in Jesus, your faith in Jesus at salvation is only the beginning that is not the only crisis point your life is going to have. You will be led to many. Same place, you will need to believe. Do I believe what Jesus says and do it? Or do I wait? There is no non-choice. Your non-choice is a choice. Half of our issues could be solved 
if we were in God's word listening to him and following it. Knowing what he says and believing it. So what crisis are you facing right now? Big or small, doesn't matter. Believe Jesus. He is your answer. Follow him. I promise you, on the authority of God's word, he will not let you down. Ever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a powerful moment in your life. In this nobleman's life. It's a moment which shakes us deeply. And I pray this morning, dear God, that your word would in fact reach deeply into the hearts of each and every one of us here this morning. For those that have not believed you as Savior, dear God, please open their eyes. Let them see the choice they need to make that you are worth believing. That they would find faith in you today. For us who have believed you, who have found salvation in you, Help us, dear God, daily to make the choice to believe your promises, to trust your word, and to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.